0: Hi, this is Joe Shannon. I'm a lawyer, a husband, a father of six kids, and I also uh, host a podcast called Opening Statement with Joe Shannon. Please consider listening to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple, and any other folks that host podcasts. Just Google Joe Shannon and podcast and you'll find it. I hope you enjoyed the show. We're speaking today with Seth Bader. How are you today, Seth?
1: Joseph, how are you? I'm great, thank you.
0: Yeah, I'm speaking you to you today. You are in Atlanta, Georgia, is that right?
1: Yes, sir. I'm here in Atlanta.
0: So, I want our listeners to meet Seth. Um, Seth is, uh, he started a firm called Bader Scott Injury Lawyers in Atlanta, and it's not only uh, a law firm, but it is probably one of the fastest growing law firms in the country. Would you agree with me on that, Seth?
1: I would. Thank you. Yeah. uh, In 2008, I founded what was then Bader Law Firm Uh, in 2018. My partner, Louis Scott, joined the firm and uh, we converted the name to Bader Scott Injury Lawyers. And uh, this will be the second consecutive year that we have uh, been recognized as one of the fastest growing businesses, not just law firms, but one of the fastest growing businesses in the state of Georgia. And I, I believe we're one of the fastest growing law firms in the entire country.
0: Wow. So, you know, that, that's really interesting to me is you know, from a law firm standpoint, but also from a business standpoint, um, you know, one of the things that I, I like our listeners to to learn from these podcasts is how these very interesting people go from point A to point B. And so I'm, I'm hoping that we can kind of look under the hood here and, and see how you did it, Seth, and how, how you're making a difference in Atlanta. So I'm looking forward to figuring that stuff out. So, First of all, let's 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 go back to the beginning. As I understand it, um, I did a little bit of research for this interview. Um, that you are a, uh, a a native of Florida.
1: Yes, I grew up in Miami, and uh, so I'm from Florida. I moved to Atlanta in 2003. And Joseph, if, if I may, you, you, you mentioned going from point A to point B. I, I will just tell you in my opinion, in my experience, and most of my friends who have achieved any level of success, uh, it's not a straight line from point A to point B. I just I thought <laughs> I'd mention this.
0: Yeah, I know. I, it's very crooked. Sometimes, you know, it's 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 a, your your own unique story. I think, you know, one of the things that, that I've learned from speaking with you is, um, use the word uh, alignment. Um, yeah. And that's a really interesting concept. And And I'm hoping that you'll you'll be able to inspire some folks because, you know, a lot of people that, that start out, you know, they go through high school, they go through college, even they go through law school, and they think that their path is done and that's their defining moment. And then they're done. What I've seen from a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of folks that are very successful is that they go through a lot of peaks and valleys until they figure out, where their lane is, where their best lane is, and then they they go there. Has that been your experience?
1: There's no question about that. As I mentioned, uh, you know, the, the line from where I was to where I am today, it's, it's, it's peaks and valleys uh, it's squiggly, you know, it's, but, but, you know, but we're here now, Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been, you know, it's, you know, life and business have both presented uh, different challenges, uh, but I think, one thing that's consistent amongst all entrepreneurs lawyers and other folks that have achieved any uh, degree of success is that they you know they, they they are comfortable with adversity and overcoming challenges and then they grow from those
0: yeah you know um, you know we're i'm you know we're we're doing this podcast april 9th 2020 and you know america is at a standstill i, I don't think america's maybe ever been in the situation Maybe in the Spanish flu back in the early 1900s, but all businesses are stay at home or most most of them. There's some essential businesses. But I tell you, I I don't I know for sure in in my 56 years on the planet, I've never seen anything like this. And this, I think, will be a defining moment for for business owners, for law firm owners. And, you know, how are you handling stuff right now, Seth?
1: Sure. Well, you know, I think I agree with you that this is going to be a defining moment for all of us. Uh, we, you know, in our law firm, we really believe that we were, were built for this. Uh, you know, again, just to go back to my own personal story, you know, I, I, I've overcome my own set of uh, challenges in adversity and uh, actually started my law firm in 2008, uh, really in the middle of, of our last recession. And so, for me, I'm very comfortable with this. I, I built my law firm uh, to, to work from home in 2008 because I didn't have the funds, the resources, uh, or the infrastructure to, to really have a traditional office. And so uh, in some ways it was 12 years ago that I built a firm that was made for, for, for what we're going through today. And so for, we have a relatively young a team my my guess is that our the average age of our uh employees probably about 30 to 33 and so most of them are very comfortable with all the technology we were already a uh a an a, a, I guess an electronic filing law firm or a paperless law firm and so for us the transition actually happened in the course of 48 hours and so so I mean we 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 have a a really high spirit uh we're blessed we have not had to We've not had to terminate anybody. We've not had to reduce anybody's pay, and uh, we're you know continuing to to rock along.
0: That's great. And and how many folks do you have working there at the firm?
1: Sure. So we have uh, we have about a hundred and forty to one hundred and fifty right
0: now. Oh my goodness, that is that for for our listeners that maybe don't understand the 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 plaintiffs law firm uh, mode. Most plaintiffs law firms at the most have maybe 10 people, 15 people, 20. There's a select group of uh, firms that can uh, basically keep that type of personnel and and you must represent thousands of of clients.
1: That's correct. We probably probably have about 3,000 to 3,500 active cases at any given time.
0: Wow, and then so, Tell, tell us about, uh, before we get into your background and how how you went sure. from point A to point B and then all over the B, Cs, and Ds, yeah. wh- Where wh- what's, what's the strength of your law firm um, in Atlanta?
1: You said what's the strength? Yeah. Um, well, I'm not sure I understand the question, but if you're asking me what makes our law firm so strong, yes. Um, I would say it's the leadership, and I'm not necessarily referring to myself, but just our entire leadership team, and our, and and frankly, the rest of our team. I think we have uh, an incredible leadership team. From my partner Luis, who's the managing partner, I'm the founder. He's the the active managing partner to our uh, director of operations, Luisa, uh, to our HR director, our personal injury director. Our workers comp director we have just an amazing team of dedicated leaders that aren't just dedicated to you know to, to what they're doing uh, in, in their day-to day role but they're really dedicated to growing uh, the rest of our team our our core values Joe are captured in the acronym growth and so growth is you know really probably our, our most to me probably my most important core value and, and so our leaders put a lot of time and effort into helping the rest of uh, of our team grow and so i think our strength really is our people
0: you know i, I um, went on your, your guys website the, the baiterlawfirm.com and if you if our listeners just scroll to the uh, the part about about us but it's our staff and you look at the pictures of our staff uh, are a majority of your employees women
1: uh, I don't have the exact numbers, but I, I, I feel confident in saying that more than 50 percent of our employees are women. And if I had to guess, it's probably about 75 percent to 25
0: percent. You know, I, I was just interviewing a lawyer um, in New York state, and, and it was basically uh, there was 22 women and there was two men. And he said that they, those guys did a lot more work than the guys did. And I said, I believe it. I, um, but I look at, this, look at this roster of people that, uh, and the images of the people at your firm. It is, it's amazing. And I, I can tell you, you've basically sold your story and your growth aspect to these folks where they believe in you and they believe in your leadership team that they want to grow too.
1: Well, uh, listen, I I won't take the credit, but I, I, I will tell you that we have a team of very growth-oriented employees. And I think that, you know, you and I are in a group, uh, 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 a mastermind group with uh, some folks called Chris Becks. And one of the questions that, that we're asked is what are our non-negotiables? For me, one of my non-negotiables are are that I, I demand that the people that work with me have a growth oriented mindset, not a fixed mindset that they want to grow. They want to learn. They're open to change. And so again, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, if anyone is, or who is the inspiration for them, but I know that that's what we expect and, and that's what we have. No,
0: that's that's great. So let, let's, let's go back to um, you grew up in Miami. You, you made your way to, to uh, Florida state law school. And I, I see that you're on the law review. I was. Yeah, yes. I was not. So I, I, I was, I was one of those also ran lawyer guys, um, and I always was, you know, that for for people that don't know, if you're on the law review at any law school, you are one of the smartest dudes at the school, and so you get to write articles that people read and and the the upper crust read. I was more of the. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I was playing cards in the uh, the lobby while Seth was uh, out there studying, hit the books and all that type of stuff. But you, but you, when you got out of um, law school, usually the, the people that were on Law Review got the jobs at the, the big defense firms. Did, is that what happened to you?
1: Well, uh, I wouldn't say that I got a job at, at a big defense firm, but I did get a job at, at a defense firm here in Atlanta.
0: So you came to Atlanta after law school then?
1: I did. So my, my mother is from Atlanta uh, and and I had spent some time up here with with, uh, with her family and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the culture. I enjoyed the weather. I enjoyed the change of season. And so I moved here after law school in 2003.
0: Great. And then so you, you opened up your firm in 2008. Tell me about the jagged lines from 2003 to 2008.
1: Sure. So between 2003 and 2008 I worked for three different law firms and uh, each one of those jobs ended the same exact way um, and I should say that each one of those jobs it kind of started the same way it it, it, it uh, the, 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 the work and the, 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 my performance was very similar and all three ended the same way so all three of them started with on my part, with tremendous hope, optimism, and excitement, because I was finally a lawyer. I could make a difference. I could make an impact. And, you know, I had, I had put in so many hours uh, of, of school to get through uh, college and then law school. So I was really excited about getting in there and doing really high-quality work and making a difference, albeit at the time for an insurance defense attorney, uh, as, a def- as an insurance defense attorney, which I really wasn't excited about. Uh, but I went in, I worked hard. Nobody forced me to work as many hours as I did, but I would put in no less than 60 hours a week. I'd work all the weekends, you know, because I really wanted to hone my craft and be the best lawyer I could be. And uh, I would go in on weekends and I rarely saw my bosses. They were rarely there and uh, and, and they rarely stayed late at night like I did. And uh, in all three jobs, uh, I'm now proud to tell you I got fired from all of them at the time. I thought it was, a, there was a problem with me and my performance. But now looking back, it was the greatest thing that ever happened. I'm actually quite proud <laughs> of the fact that they, that they let me go. So
0: for the listeners who don't understand what it means to work for an insurance company law firm. What is it exactly that you do?
1: Well, As an insurance defense attorney in the personal injury or workers compensation space, you are basically tasked, it is your responsibility uh, to help uh, minimize the, 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 the exposure. That is to say, to help save the insurance company money and to get claims, injury claims resolved as quickly, efficiently, and as cheaply as possible. And so that, that, was, that was what I did. Yeah, so
0: um, when you were working there at those different law firms and you're working, uh, you get the, the way that, see, I did it too. I, I worked for eight years. So you and I are similar. I worked for eight years for law firms that, that represented insurance companies and large companies. And the way that uh, what was required is that we had to bill a lot of hours, which means we had to keep our hours And the more hours we build, the better it was for the law firm because they got to build insurance companies. The insurance companies basically came back and and paid us. So the more time we spent on a file, um, you know, the the partners at the law firm were happy and uh, that was great. And it's a complete almost it's a little bit different than than what we do now. But is that kind of what you were doing there?
1: Exactly, so you, you're, the, the quality of the work was really not valued as much as the quantity of the work. And there was no, no correlation in my experience really between the quality of the work uh, and, and, and the outcome of the case, because frankly, the insurance company didn't really care that much. You know, they, they Of course, they wanna save as much money as possible, but they just want to, to, to be able to assess their risk, uh, know what their risk is and then uh, resolve claims within the risk or the potential exposure. Uh, but if I worked really hard and did a great job and I did it efficiently, that was not as uh, valued by my bosses as frankly milking the file and billing the file as much as you could to make as much money as you could. In other words, there was actually, I would argue, misalignment between what the lawyer was supposed to do in terms of saving them money and um, and, 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 and and the work that the lawyer actually did because frankly, the, the, it, it, there was a, almost a built-in conflict of interest. The more that the lawyer, uh, so in any event, yes that's what we did. We, we build a lot of time.
0: Yeah. So, so you got, you got fired from, from three different jobs, probably trying to ask too many questions about why quality wasn't important, but, (laughs) but when did it, when did it pop in your head, Seth, that, Hey, you know what? I, not only do I not want to work for insurance companies or big companies, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I want to own my own law firm and I want to represent people that, have claims with insurance companies.
1: Sure. So. So, uh, the answer is uh, I, sort of two part. One, I knew that I always wanted to help people from a very very young age. Uh, so 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 in some ways, uh, ultimately finding a, a profession that allowed me to help people directly was was my destiny. But I also knew uh, working for these companies that that and these other law firms that i i could not coexist in in, in in businesses that didn't share my values and didn't share my work ethic uh, and as a result you know it was uh it was 2000 so in some ways it took about 3 or 4 years uh, for me to really realize that, that i had to move on um, but then it was 2008 that I finally took the leap of faith and moved on.
0: Great. So 2008, you're in a the country's in a recession. Mm-hmm. You've got your you, you've got you. We've got your telephone. You've got your law degree. Tell tell us how you went from zero employees or maybe just you to 150. I mean, there must have been some that must have been quite a journey.
1: Yeah. So. Uh, it, it, it has been a journey. It's remarkable when I look back. Uh, in, in some ways it's taken so long. In some ways it, it feels like it's happened overnight, but um, I'll, I'll try to give you the abridged version. And then if you have any questions, I'll be happy to answer them.
0: Absolutely. I'll be you. Yeah.
1: So, so, so uh, 2008, I was just me. In 2018, I had built it up to 25, uh, about 25 employees. And then in August of 2018, my partner Luis Scott joined the firm. And between August of 2018, and today, we've added about 125 employees. Um, During 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 uh, from from 2008, until about 2017, we were exclusively a workers' compensation law firm. That's my, I, my, my personal specialty is workers' compensation, which is to say that I represent people that get injured on the job. And then in 2017, really 2016, we went from being a small, what I would call like a mom and pop shop, uh, where we basically did referral-based marketing and relationship marketing to starting to spend money on advertising both in traditional media and on the internet. And, uh, and so, so the big boost and the big change in the business came in 2000, the end of 2016, moving forward, when we started to, uh, to market.
0: So when you went into, to, uh, to, to make that change, um, what, what caused you to make that change? Was, was it basically you weren't growing fast enough or you, you felt like you could do something a little bit more?
1: Yeah, well, I, I, there were, I think a, a couple of things. One was that I knew that, that there was tremendous growth potential, both within me personally and professionally, but also within the industry. And I was really just trying to learn as much as I could so that when i when i took that i guess second leap of faith you still there yeah i'm here so so that when i took what really was the second leap of faith in, in my in, in my business the first being when i started and the second being when i started to to, to double down on on marketing and advertising um i, I really wanted to, to to make sure that i understood what i was doing because i think a lot of people entrepreneurs both inside the legal space and outside, think that they can just take money and start spending it and and uh, generating business. The problem is, uh, marketing is is much more than just advertising. You really have to know your numbers. You have, really have to know how it works. You have to know how to negotiate good deals. And so, I really just wanted to make sure that I was informed uh, about what I was going to do and make a uh, some smart decisions. So I think, but again, I think. It was just a combination of my my just extreme passion for growing combined with uh, the fact that I I had finally learned enough to take that leap of faith and and start to advertise.
0: You know, there's there's a lot of qualities in entrepreneurs and uh, business owners that that are common. Um, I always like to ask people about some of their first jobs that they had. So when you were growing up
1: in Florida, (laughs) Do you remember any of your
0: first jobs that you had as a, as a, a kid?
1: Sure. So the first job where I, I don't know if they were doing W-2s at the time, but the first time I was a W-2 employee and that, to distinguish from like doing odd jobs in and around uh, the house and things to help my, my parents and I'd get, you know, an allowance, something like that. The first job I had, I think I was about 14 or fifteen, I think that was the legal age you could start working. And I worked at a local subway. Um so I was I was very driven. My my father was a neurologist. So there's a very good argument that I, I didn't have to actually work, but I I really had a, a drive to kind of become independent and make my own way. And so I I took a job, like I said, I think it was about fourteen or fifteen at subway. And then um I I guess that was, you know, the season of my life. Uh, so I, I I was basically a sandwich artist. So I went I so I went I went from I went from Subway, and my very next job, uh, was at a place called Blimpy. Oh yeah. And uh, so
0: hold on a second. Let's go back to Subway. So, okay. so most you know most people have their first jobs. You know, some of my, some of my kids worked at the theater and they you know they did all this stuff there. Do you remember Do you remember your boss at the Subway?
1: I remember him. I don't remember his name, um, uh, but I, you know, I don't. I'm trying to think if I have any kind of compelling or interesting story about him, <laughs> or, or, or or the place. You know what I? The, I think the one thing that stands out to me, and for those people that really love Subway, uh, you know, I apologize for this, particularly in light of the fact that we're all uh, dealing with this coronavirus and we're all especially sensitive about germs but the one thing that stood out to me uh was that was that we 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 made tuna fish and these tuna fish uh you mix the mayonnaise with the tuna in these massive bowls (laughs) and you would you you would you would just take your hands and use them and even though there was a sign that said i'm sorry listen i in in a way it wasn't it wasn't just the tuna it was the seafood (laughs) i don't know if it it was called the seafood delight or the seafood salad so again for those of you that love subway I apologize, but uh, but anyway, that, that's what I remember about Subway. Now, my next job, my next my next job at, at blimpy I, I don't remember my boss's name. He was an Israeli guy, nice guy. And the, the only the only thing is, sort of inter- The only thing that's really interesting about that is um, there there was a mascot. You know, again, now looking back, now that I'm a successful business owner, law firm owner, 150 employees, I can tell these stories that in the past I would never, I would have been ashamed. I would have been ashamed to tell you, but when I worked at Blimpy, they was, the Blimpy a mascot was a bear. <laughs> and and so, so at one point, they, and I got kind of jealous because there was another kid who was really not a very good employee. And, 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 and what they did with him was they said, you go, you work outside, you get your, your Walkman I can't believe. I mean, I'm. I can't believe I'm like at, at a point in my life where I'm. <laughs> I'm. 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 I'm that old. But we had walkmans with tape recorders, and so he would get to go outside, dress up in the Blimpy Bear costume, the, and and dance around on the street. So I, I convinced the boss. I said, you know, I got to have an opportunity to do this as well. Otherwise, otherwise, there's some kind of discrimination. And I did that. And here's the funniest part. The funniest part is that I got so enthused about it, I would kind of like hop in the street, like wave people down, because I was trying to bring people into the, into the restaurant. And no joke, a car swerved around me, got into an accident, nothing big. <laughs> and, and, and and literally uh, about 10, 20 minutes later, they were looking for witnesses, <laughs> and they, they, they came in looking for the Blimpy there. <laughs> It's a true story. it's a true story.
0: Hold on so, hold on a second. Yeah. Now tell tell everybody what a blimpy is.
1: Uh well blimpy was the name of the the the, the, the restaurant or this this you know the sandwich shop. Is it like a Subway? and I guess it, it's it's a direct competitor of Subway. <laughs> There's not so many anymore. <laughs> but yes, it's it's uh it's uh it's similar to Subway. So yeah. tell
0: me I wanna get a visual in my mind here, Seth. So
1: yeah. yeah, so, yeah
0: um were you elbow
1: deep in tuna and mayonnaise at the blimpy i you know no, i was not elbow deep in tuna at, at uh at blimpy. i think blimpy i don't actually remember i i think the only difference was that we used gloves uh, and, and again and i just i just want to be clear i this is not i am not talking there's got to be a disclaimer on this podcast i'm not saying i'm not saying that all subways do it i'm just telling you how that one that one uh uh, you know, a uh, uh, franchise owner did it in Pinecrest, Florida. So, <laughs> so, yeah.
0: so anyway, so, so you liked being in the bear suit. It, I mean, that must have been hot.
1: Look, I'm not saying I liked it. I'm just saying, you know, I was trying to find my way <laughs> and, and, and I wanted an opportunity. You know, let, let me tell you something. The correlation between that and today is I love marketing. I absolutely love marketing, so i guess I guess that was my it 's always been a thing for me, so you know I wanted to market for him then and and I love marketing now, in fact, in fact, just to tie it all together, uh, I do a lot of uh, marketing we do a lot of uh, work within the Hispanic community and um uh, we 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 will host we will host and we will sponsor big uh rodeo type concerts and i 'll dress up in the cowboy outfit and get up on stage and Whatever, you know, I, I love marketing. and I love connecting with people. And so whenever, whenever the opportunity is there, I okay, do Okay,
0: so how long did you last at, at Blimpy?
1: Um, I probably worked there about a year and a half. I did that during high school. I think I did that in evenings uh and, and some weekends.
0: So I, I got to get a picture of this. You go home. Sure. You sit down at dinner with your dad, the neurosurgeon. yeah. <laughs> And dad says, hey, Seth, uh, so what, after he got you out of the, uh, you know, your elbows into the seafood salad and the uh, tuna, he basically said, hey, Seth, that's, that's yeah. probably, you're probably not going to eat those free sandwiches at Subway. Then he, he asks you at the dinner table, says, hey, Seth, what'd you do today? So, well, I, I got into a bear costume and I almost killed somebody in the street. How did that conversation go? <laughs>
1: you know uh i'm not i don't don't know that i remember that specific conversation my my father my father grew up with very little and was a self-made man and and so i think from his point of view uh you know he he appreciated my so
0: tell me a little bit about your father you said he's self-made tell me about his story Mm -hmm.
1: yes so my father grew up in uh, brooklyn new york the son of uh, immigrants uh jewish immigrants uh he had uh they had very little. His father was a where did they come from, and uh, from uh, Austria, oh, wow. Russia, yeah. And so, so he grew up uh, very, very poor. Uh, the The family, the, the the parents, didn't really appreciate the importance of education, and uh, and didn't really push for that. And so, but my father, from a very young age, I knew that he wanted to be a doctor, and um, and so he he, you know. He went off uh, to to college, then he went off to the military, and then he went off to medical school. All, you know, uh, either on scholarships or through uh, government loans, and then, you know, and then uh, went on and, and became a, It was a, actually a neurologist, not a neurosurgeon. And so, so yeah, I mean, there's more detail there, but I mean, that's that's boy, a that's a great
0: story. I, you know, I, you know, when I, uh, I'm a history major, Seth, so. Um, I like to read a lot of books. I like to read uh world history, American history, but I can't tell you how much I love this country. I you know, the stories about your what's your dad's name? You know, Daniel. story about you know uh Daniel Bader, M D, you know, coming from you know uh low income uh in New York and becoming a neurologist and you know making a great life for himself i mean that's what this country's about and uh you know i that's why i really like talking to, to people like you and other entrepreneurs and and folks that you know lay it on the line because i tell you it's you know other generations have gone through a lot for us to get here and you know when i look at you know my parents you know you know, if listeners know that I'm one of 10 kids and my dad was a social worker. My mom stayed at home and we had absolutely zero, I mean, z- zero mm. money. And mm. I, um, I look at the hustle that people that really work. I mean, I never danced in a bear outfit. I, you know, I might go find a blimpy and see if I can get that job. This so I can stay up with the baiters because I tell you that I would love to go <laughs> and tell that story. I mean, That, that is a great, story. And I, I tell you, you know, a lot of, um, folks that, that are working nowadays, it seems like, you know, not the ones that work for us. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you that much cause they're hustlers, but there seems to be like a, a, a generation of people that have, I don't know if you've seen it, um, Seth, but an entitlement type of attitude where they, they mm-hmm. believe that, you know, these mm-hmm. jobs that we talk about, they would never do cause it, you know, they're too good for that job. you ever run
1: into that? Well, uh, I have. I mean, I, you know, I, I, at times I think I've thought it's, it's like an entitlement uh, attitude. And then part of me thinks it's, it's really just the world that they grew up in. So, you know, we have a lot of employees now that, again, I told you that, that most of our employees, the average age is probably between 30 and 33. And I think you know many of them, number one, they've grown up with social media. So, they're they're accustomed to things happening quickly quickly I mean literally uh, things that would have taken days weeks or months for for us to even be aware of literally happen in seconds so I think that's part of the issue then part of it that is they've grown up again uh, this millennial generation uh, uh, you know unless they experienced 2008 you know probably after 2010 the last 10 years anybody that's joining the workforce during that time has been living uh, in what I think is a dream world and so they and there, there's been, you know, there's it's been a it's been a uh, an employees market, which is wonderful for them, Um, but I think that they didn't realize how hard it is to, to to really progress and to grow and to get promoted, and I think um you know unfortunately I think right now they're they're gonna realize just how hard it is, um um, but yeah I mean I I think that I, I you know again I, I don't know that it's their fault or that it's that there's an entitlement attitude, but there is certainly, I think, been an expectation that things will, that, 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 that the career path uh, and the promotion path will be accelerated. Um, and so, so, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah,
0: so I, it, I, I think that, you know, what, what I'm looking for in um, and I, this is something that I want to transition to here is, you know, how you have such a great cohesive team and how you build that, that doesn't, that isn't something that just happens. it's something that that requires um folks to have accountability and 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 an attitude of gratitude and um you know and good habits so I think that that some mm-hmm. of that flows from the top so what are some of the habits just personal habits that you have that you've developed in in running a law firm a business like you have? To help you become an effective leader for the folks that work with you.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, first of all, I think that I think that uh, it's not a habit, but it's it's a mindset. And I told you, it's it's having a growth mindset. Uh, next, next, I think having a vision is absolutely critical. To any type of success, and particularly when you're trying to get a team of people, big or small, to, to you know to move forward and succeed, um, and I think the bigger the bigger the team, uh, you know the, the more clear that the vision uh, needs to be for for the team. Uh, in terms of in terms of habits, and by the way, one of our core values you mentioned gratitude. I tell you, it's our, our core values are captured in the acronym growth. Which stands for gratitude, respect, open-heartedness, winning, trust, and humility. And I think those values, while they're not habits, I think I think embodying and adhering to, uh, to those values, uh, I think has been really critical for 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 my success. Um, the the other The other sort of habit that it's not. It's not listed uh, by name in the core values, but I think it is captured certainly in the, the the core value of winning, and that is a sense of urgency. I really believe one of my greatest attributes and one of my greatest habits is, is that I just have this incredible sense of urgency to get things done and not to wait till tomorrow. No,
0: I like that. I like that a lot. You know. Um one of the, one of the things that, um, you know, we do like to push the, you know, kick the can down the road. I know that, you know, government wise, that a lot of times those folks do that, but in in private enterprise, you know, getting things done is what our clients expect. And it's what, you know, our employees expect. I mean, we, we're required to do that. So I I think that urgency thing is key. And the thing I liked about that growth, uh, acronym that you use is, is really uh, a cool thing about I really do like the humility aspect of that and the gratitude aspect of that because you know being able to be a really good law firm means that you have respect first of all for the people you work with because if you don't if you don't have the respect for the people you work with um, you know go find another job you know, I mean, it's, that, that's basically it. You should, you should respect who you work with because that allows you to serve the clients better and understand the clients better. And I think if you have that habit of being grateful, humble, then you listen a lot more and you talk less and you do more.
1: That's been my experience. I, I, I absolutely agree. You know, if you ask me which of those core values, man, it'd be tough to tell you which is the most important but I, 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 if I had to choose one, it probably would be humility, and and I think the reason is that um, let me just go back to where we started. I was talking about adversity and this, you know, getting from point A to point B. I think if you're humble and you you recognize that you're going to face adversity, you're going to face challenges that you're not uh, that are new to you and that you you've never encountered. Uh, but if you're humble about it, it's much easier to 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 encounter them and deal with them because you, instead of facing them, and crumbling because of the discomfort, you face them with a much more positive uh, attitude and you say, you know what, I don't know this, but I'm going to learn it. I'm going to figure it out. And then, when you fail, or when you, you know, when when, when what you attempt to do doesn't work the way you expected for a second time you say you know what it's okay like i'm humble I, I i i accept i'm not perfect and then you learn from it and i think that i think when we talk when i talk about going from point a to point b and going in peaks and valleys and around in circles at times I, I think really each one of those peaks and valleys and each one of those uh, uh you know uh, turns in, in in the road really represent a challenge where you you failed you got knocked down uh but you got right back up. And I, I think if you're humble and you're open to learning and you're grateful for that opportunity to learn, then, then you can just continue to grow and keep reaching new. You know, plateaus. One of the things
0: that when I did my research for this interview, um, Seth, was I looked at um, the, the unbelievable uh, amount of community outreach that you guys do uh, in Atlanta. And I was looking at the, the, the different folks that you um that you guys are working with and i'm wondering how does a law firm have time to do all this stuff you know with the community
1: well um I, you make the time i mean i think i think that um I, I think I've, I'm very grateful for for what I've I've been able to to earn and receive, uh, albeit it's, it's largely because of the hard work that I've done. But it's it's not without the help of others. It's not without the the trust that the the people in the community have placed within me and and, and my firm. Uh, and so without without the community, uh, we don't have anything. And so I think you make the time to give back uh, because because. I really believe that you have to be a giver, not a taker. A mentor of mine by the name of John Sweet, when I first started my practice, I don't even know if I had filed the paperwork with the Secretary of State, but he said, "Seth, I want you to remember this lesson." He said, "There's two types of people in this world: there's givers and there's takers, and you better be a giver." And you know, and that, I'm, that I'm looking at some of these
0: charities, Kids' Chance of Georgia, Boys and Girls Clubs of Metro Atlanta. Resurgents Charitable Foundation, Prosthetics, Prosthetic International, Cops for Kids, Weinberg Early Learning Center, and the list goes on. You know what I? I, I tell you, I, that's why I really like doing these things because these these type of interviews inspire us and hopefully our listeners to do more and to reach out because it's about the relationships, isn't it, Seth? That you that you develop with people and and. You know, you've, you've been given a chance by your parents to enter the world as, uh, you know, basically in our economy, it's up to you. It's up to you. What are you going to do with your chance? And you're giving these kids a chance to see what it can be like outside of their neighborhood or what it can be like uh, to develop a relationship, to be a mentor. And, you know, I, I applaud you your firm for doing that and um, you know i i think that that's great and i um, I want to finish this up um, uh, Seth, by by asking you 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 said that you um, made kind of a important change about two or three years ago um, when you decided to do more marketing and 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 you know to jump off the cliff to make your Your uh, a leap of faith to to basically say, listen, I'm I've got an unbelievable team. I want the world to know it. I have these these people uh, are people that can serve, and you've done it. How how have you done outreach, for example, to the Hispanic community in in um, Atlanta?
1: Well, we 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 partnered. With a lot of different organizations and nonprofits that are rooted in the Hispanic community, we've partnered uh, with a lot of our media partners uh, to get in the community and to give back, whether it's through charity or simply community events, just to connect with them and build relationships with them, so that you know, so that they know that they have uh, a, a business, of lawyers uh, that that are there. And them do you have lawyers who speak Spanish? Well, I speak Spanish because I grew up in Miami. And so while I'm not absolutely fluent, I, I am conversant. And, and the vast majority of our employees, uh, though not most of our lawyers, but certainly our employees, most of them are Hispanic and bilingual. And, and, and while I am not bilingual, I am extremely, excuse me, while I'm not Hispanic. Uh, because of my, my childhood in South Florida surrounded, really immersed within the Hispanic culture, I'm extremely proud of the fact that, that our firm has um, not only serves the Hispanic community, but has created opportunities for a lot of young uh, people, uh, young professionals, uh, that some of whom never went to college, many of whom are just right out of college, and so it's it I'm very proud of the fact that we have so many young people again in the Hispanic community that are able to 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 use our firm as in some cases the beginning of a long career with us and others just as a as a launch pad you know to grow that's great i was yeah I was looking at the
0: uh, in researching for this interview i i I looked at the your roster and um you're telling me the majority of them can speak Spanish, which is absolutely terrific, and you're giving you know jobs to these people and opportunities. That's wonderful. So if there's a if there's a young person in Atlanta that is really smart, can speak Spanish and is a hustler, is he got a he or she got a shot at getting a job at the Bader Law Firm?
1: Absolutely. I'd go further and say if there's a young person whether they speak Spanish or not, hell, young or old, uh, it doesn't matter. If, if, if somebody comes in and they have a great uh, attitude and they work hard uh, and they, 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 they believe in our values and they adhere to those values, they've got a great shot. But certainly uh, because, because we serve the Hispanic community, those that speak some uh, Spanish uh, we, they, they that's great, a that's great. Well, listen
0: I, I really appreciated our time together Seth and um, the uh, uh, the Bader Scott injury lawyers in um, in Atlanta they're ready to serve you they're um, they say habla espanol and they're um, if you check out the baderlawfirm.com dot com you'll see all the great people that work there and the practice areas the resources you'll learn a lot and follow and, Seth Bader on social media; he's got some great stuff there.
1: And, and, go ahead. Go and ahead. and Joseph, may, I, may I say one more thing to end it? Uh, don't be surprised if in the next three months uh, our mascot <laughs> is a little Bader. You know what? Bad.
0: I tell you, I think that is gold. I, you know, my my, um, you know, I've had I've had a lot of really interesting jobs. You know, one one of my jobs. Um, I had many jobs growing up, um, but one of the jobs, my buddy Jeff store and I, um, in Yakima, Washington, we live, we live in a kind of a rural area and it was, um, it, it was a lot of fun to grow up there, like 50,000 people. But one of my jobs, Seth was to do, uh, telemarketing and to sell circus tickets. And so okay the, People that hang up on you or say no is 99.9% say, no, I'm not buying a circus ticket, or they just don't even say anything. But that one person that said yes, the celebration was, was very great when they were going to the circus, and, and then I was the one that was selling the ticket. I can't remember what we got for it, but it was hardly anything. But I had a lot of jobs <laughs> that, that are unspeakable. But I tell you, I never had a job where I got to dance in traffic as a bear. Uh, <laughs>
1: somebody's got to do it. And,
0: That's uh, awesome. I, I humbly. Well, thank you so much, it. Seth, and, uh, and I hope you have a terrific thank you uh, so much. year in 2020. Let's make, it a, let's make it a great year, okay? All right. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you. Stay safe.
0: Thank you for listening to the opening statement with Joe Shannon. You can find us on the internet at shannonlawgroup.com or telephone our office at 312-578-9501. Have a terrific day.